Let me tell you about a time when I beat my niece in a game so bad that she never played it again. For Christmas, my niece got a game and I literally took every single piece of what she had to the point where Christmas afternoon was the last time she ever played that game again in her life. Should also tell you the game was Care Bear Checkers and she was four years old. Whoops, sorry Caitlin, I love you. Uh, She didn't like losing and so she never played it again. Now fast forward 10 years later, I am now married And my wife and I like to play a lot of games. Anybody like to play board games? Just show of hands. Let me feel like I'm not the only one. Okay, good. How many of you have ever played Settlers of Catan? Anyone? Catan? If you're online watching, Catan is the best thing in the world. It's one of the greatest games. If you've never played Catan, wake up to the reality of what board games are. We get Catan, and I'm so confident. Like, I'm I'm pretty strategic. I'm pretty good at games. I'm very competitive. And I'm thinking like, babe, this is real cute. You want to play me in Catan? This is so, (laughs) come on. The first seven times we played, she won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many of you would have given up? You'd never play it again if you lost seven straight times to the person you love. Yeah, that's how I felt. Um, I think if it was flipped, she would have never played it again. I have since then caught up. Okay, we're not. We're basically neck and neck now. Larson, you're not that good. You are that good. You're just not is that better than me. It's fine. Listen, we don't like to lose. How many of you like to lose? No hands. That's fun. How many of you prefer to win? That should be, every, like, if it's, you're like, I'm not competitive. I don't play games. Okay, well, I think a lot of us do. Because we're exposed to games as kids. We play games in fields with either across from a person with a board game or in a field with a dozen people. But what happens in life is that as we grow up, so do the games that we play. And I don't just mean Catan. I'm talking about the games in life. The games that we play in life. The games we play with others. The games we play with our inner critic or the games we play with that voice inside of our head. And for some of us, the games that we even play in our faith. Now, if nobody likes losing, but we all play these games, what if there was a way that every single one of us could come out on top in these games that we play? That's what we wanna talk about for the next few weeks. These different areas of life where whether you're aware of it or not, you end up playing games. And so my hope is that you can learn how to win in those games over the next few weeks. But my hope also is that for some of you, this may become an opportunity and an awareness and a reality that there are some games in life you need to stop playing. Now, this time of year is when I want to talk about this because a lot of us are trying to get ahead. We talked about it last week. There's a gap from where you currently are to where one day you'd like to be. You'd like to be better tomorrow than you are today. And so what we do in this time of year, this season of our life, is we end up developing these rhythms and these new things based on our resolutions or based on our our commitments or our, our desires to get better and to get to where we want to be one day. And so a lot of us, out of the frustration of looking at that, go and find these external things to help us get there. Some of you are gonna buy a planner. Maybe you already did because it's the start of the new year. You're like, I'm gonna get my life together. I'm gonna get all my stuff together. I'm never gonna be late anymore to anything. No one? Okay, good. You're all on time. That's great, yeah. I'm gonna make every single class, even though none of you have already done that in the first few weeks of school. I get it, it's fine. We're gonna come up with planners to help us. Or maybe you're like, I'm gonna enroll at a gym and I'm gonna get swole because guess what? I got three months till it's swimsuit season. So guess, uh, guess where you're gonna find me at the gym? And then about two weeks from now, you're not at the gym, you're eating ice cream. It's what we all do, it's okay, don't feel guilty. This is church, safe place. Some of you, maybe it's not a gym or a planner, maybe you bought an app. 
Maybe you downloaded that new app and it's going to help you track all your calories or it's going to get you more organized or it's going to help you calm so that you don't have to be so stressed out. See, what we typically do, because we want to get better, because we want to get where we go, this is what we typically do, is we would all say, we want to win. And so let me change the words. For those of you who are like, I don't really care about that. All right, put it this way. We want to get it right. We all want to get it right. We all want to get life right. We all want to get school right. We all want to get college right. We want to get relationships right. We want to get our faith right. We want to get it right. You want this. This is true for you. But the reason we need to talk about this is because for so many of us, so quickly, we want to get it right, but life just doesn't seem right. And so we end up seeking. We end up searching because we feel like we are missing something. And then what happens every single January is we make this brand new resolution to go and seek and search again because one more time I didn't find what I was really looking for. There's always going to be a gap from where you currently are to where you want to be. Because the reality is we want to get it right. But what we typically do in those moments when we go find those other things to help us get there is we operate under this mentality of this, that we search on the outside to fix our broken rhythms on the inside. This is what we typically do. I'm right here, I wanna get there, things aren't exactly as, they, as I wish they could be, and so I'm gonna go find something on the outside that's going to help me fix this thing about me on the inside that I'd like to be fixed. And so we go and search and we download or we join or we, or we try something new on the outside. But what if the key to you winning in the games of life and what if the key to you getting it right was actually flipping these two things? What if instead of finding everything on the outside to help you get better on the inside, what if the reality to you winning and getting it right is that there's something on the inside that may need to change first in order for your outside rhythms to get better. This is the context that we're gonna talk about tonight. And this is the context which Jesus was talking about when he was giving messages to specific churches as they were beginning. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look in the book of Revelation. And right now a lot of you are like, wait, we're doing what? Yeah, we're gonna look in Revelation. That's super mysterious, super curious, really kind of odd, very prophetic, Think about the end times, that last book in our Bible. We're going to look in the book of Revelation because in here you're gonna see that Jesus spent some time talking to seven different churches in the province of Asia. And so about seven different churches get this message from Jesus through this guy named John. Jesus would speak to John when he was on this island called Patmos, and then John would deliver these messages from Jesus to the churches. So let me give you some context about Revelation. Now the end of Revelation is why everyone's always like, wait, hang on. Are we talking about that? Because the end of Revelation has all this prophecy about what the end of times will be. So we see the end of the story. We see that victory is there for Jesus. Jesus provides this picture of what the end will look like, and we see that through the end of Revelation. But at the beginning of Revelation is actually where we see this interaction of something happening in the moment. And so the book of Revelation would have been written around the end of the first century, about 60 years after the cross, about 60 years after Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the grave and then lived fully alive one more time. It's about 60 years after he ascended back up into heaven. We see these messages through this guy named John from Jesus to these 
seven churches. Now, let me give you some context. At the time that this is being written, the Roman Empire is still in charge. They are the world power. They have everything that they want in this entire section of the world. It's all underneath them. And there's a new emperor at the time named Domitian. Now, if you go study Roman history or ancient history, you'll find that the name Domitian, this was a bad man. He was not a good dude. And he was not a good dude for almost anyone, but especially for people who wanted to follow Jesus. Because Domitian set up such an authority and such a rule that he would make everyone, everywhere they went, um, uh, call him and acknowledge him as Lord and God. Sounds pretty similar to someone else that we call Lord and God. But Domitian was like, no, that's me. I'm the emperor. I'm the divine one. And so Domitian is now Lord and God in the entire culture's mindset. And what we see is that in this culture, everyone is worshiping everything but Jesus. And so in that context, that quite honestly seems very similar to how a lot of our world feels today. Jesus sends a message to this church in a city called Laodicea. And at this church, uh, in this city, Jesus starts to speak about something specific that he's noticed about them. And so here's what we pick up in Revelation chapter three, starting in verse 15, read it with me. He says, I know your deeds, the things that you're doing, the way that you're living. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. But I wish that you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Pretty harsh language. But see, to the church in Laodicea, they would understand this language of hot and cold water and of what it meant to have lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold. They would understand this because the city of Laodicea did not have a natural water resource running through it. And so Laodicea was positioned in this Lycus Valley, this Lycus River Valley. And in the position they were, there were two cities that were really close to them that provided most of the water that they received. Let me show it to you on a map. This is the Lycus River Valley. And so you've got Laodicea positioned here. And then to the north, about 10 to 15 miles, you'd have the city of Heropolis. And in Heropolis, there was something very unique as a water source. People would travel to Heropolis all the time because of its hot springs and spas. People would travel there in luxury because there was a medicinal property to the water that came from the hot springs, the natural hot springs of Heropolis. And then about 10 to 15 miles to the east, you've also got Colossae. And Colossae was unique because it had this river running right next to it. And from that river, these cold source of wells and springs would come up of water. And so Laodicea, without any water, would have to get water transported from Heropolis or from Colossae. And the people in Laodicea, they knew that the good water, the hot and the cold water, was in Heropolis and Colossae, but not there. And so through the systems of travel... By the time it got to Laodicea, it often was lukewarm. And so whenever we look back at that scripture, a lot of times, if you've grown up around church or you've been exposed to that scripture, a lot of times what people think, and I'll be honest, this is what I thought for a really long time. What I thought is that Jesus was saying, I don't, you're neither hot nor cold, so pick one. I just don't want you to be in the middle. And I thought that hot meant that you were a Christian and that cold meant that you weren't. And basically what Jesus was saying in this moment was, I want you to just pick. Quit playing the middle, quit playing the game. You can either come really, really close or you can get really far away because I don't want you to be lukewarm. 
But given the context of what we see, both of who he was talking to in their cultural context, but also who he was talking to in terms of their faith, Jesus is talking to a church. And so when he talks about hot or cold, we can't get this twisted. He's not saying, I want you to either be so incredibly close to me or a thousand miles away. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. In this scripture, Jesus is not saying, get it right or get away. Jesus is not saying, get it right or get away. Because to the people in Laodicea, they knew that the hot water and the cold water both had incredible purpose and property. The hot water was medicinal and it was good to experience. And the cold water was refreshing and you wanted to go and find it. I mean, think about it this way. It's like coffee. How many of you like coffee? How is that on every hand? Okay, so we like coffee. I love coffee. I make coffee in a pour over every morning, super bougie, don't care, that's who I am. I make it in a pour over every morning. And the greatest thing in the world is that the moment it's done, I pour it into a cup and I sit there and I just let the steam like get onto my face and then probably I should wash my face after it, but I don't care, it feels good. And then I drink it and it's hot and it's incredible. A hot cup of coffee is wonderful. And maybe you're like, I don't like hot coffee. All right, fine, put ice in it. A cold cup of really ice cold, cold brew coffee is incredible. You know what's not incredible? Lukewarm, stale, four hour old, on the counter coffee. If you like that, there's a problem with you. That's not what it's designed to be. And some of you are like, I don't drink coffee. Okay, let's talk about tea. How many of you like tea? Anyone, are you that sophisticated that you like tea? Great, okay. You make a hot cup of tea. A hot cup of tea can be absolutely incredible. And if you're like, I don't drink tea, okay. Sweet tea, you drink that? Of course you do, it's called Chick-fil-A. Whenever you go to Chick-fil-A and you get sweet tea, no one has ever been like, can you not put ice in it? And can you give me whatever Chick-fil-A tea you made two hours ago? I want that one that's just been sitting out, just kind of like catching oxygen in the middle. I Just give me that, please. No one's ever said that. Because your lukewarm, watered-down tea is not good. No, we want it to be hot. We want it to be cold because both of them bring something refreshing to you. They both have value. But for the people in Laodicea, they knew that whenever they got that water that was lukewarm, it had lost both its purpose and its property. So when Jesus is talking about, I want you to pick, either be hot or cold, just don't be in the middle. He's not saying you gotta get it right or you gotta get away. He's talking about your love for him. I mean, how many times in life have you experienced an incredible spiritual moment where you felt so close to God? You were in a summer season of life. It was easy to worship. It was easy to pray. It was so natural. You wanted to read scripture. It was a hot season and you felt close to him, but in the exact same way, for many of us, we understand what it's like to go through grief, to walk through despair, to have disappointment because things ended or didn't go our way and it feel like winter. But I don't know about you. For me, it's in those moments when I'm most desperate for God that I feel closest to him. It's not warm, it's not hot, it's not fun, but I feel close to him. My love for him has not changed because I need him even more. See, what Jesus is talking about is your love for him, and he just wants you to be real with him. Don't act like you're up here when life is really down here. And if life is really down here, live in that. But if life is really up here, be joyful about that. 
live that out. Be real with your faith. And so what Jesus is speaking to, if he knows these people, he sees their deeds, and he doesn't want them to be lukewarm, what he's really saying is you're neither hot nor cold. In other words, you've become apathetic. You've become complacent. You've become lazy. I think the word that would describe it best for what lukewarm means is you become indifferent. And the way Jesus knew this is because of their lifestyle, because of the things that they did. See, we said at the beginning that there was this thing we always do. We search on the outside for something to help us fix what's wrong on the inside. But the wisdom of life says it's the opposite, that you have to flip that around. Because what's true is that action and behavior reflects attitude and belief. Action and behavior reflects attitude and belief. Whatever is on the inside determines what comes out to the outside. It's what is on the inside that is the source of everything we end up doing in life. Our, our action and our behavior, it reflects our, our attitude and our belief. And in the belief and in the attitude of the people in Laodicea, Jesus was saying there's a problem there because I see that your actions and your behaviors are not lining up. But they didn't even know it. They didn't even see it. And so Jesus continues talking to them about the reality of where they are, this indifference that they're living with. In verse 17, here's what he says. He says, you say, I am rich. I wish I could say that. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Clearly they were not in college. I do not need a thing because I'm rich. But you do not realize that you are, and right here I'm curious of what we think would come next. You think you're rich. You think you got it all together. You think you got everything you need. But you do not realize that you are, and it's like, how, how harsh is he going to be right here? How serious is he going to be right here? How much does this actually matter to Jesus to speak to them about where they are and to challenge them in the way that they're living? And what he says is, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful. You think you're rich. No, no, no. You're poor, blind, naked. See, Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea because they've been playing a game and they are unaware that it's a game and they've become ignorant in the way that they've been living. And that ignorance that they have towards this way they've been living explains the apathy with which Jesus is talking about. Because the people in Laodicea, what history tells us, is they would have thought that they were incredibly self-sufficient. They were self-made, they had it all together, and they did it all on their own. And so the people in Laodicea would have looked at Jesus or looked at anyone else and been like, not really sure that I need that. The privilege that they lived with never allowed them to feel like they needed help. We even know this is true because about 30 years to 40 years prior to this letter, in AD 60, an earthquake hit that region and the Lycus River Valley would have been decimated. We actually see that the city of Laodicea would have been destroyed. And the Roman Empire offered imperial disaster relief. The Roman Empire would have offered funds to relieve Laodicea of the problems they had and they declined it. They were like, we don't need your help. We got it. 
I can do this all on my own. I don't need any help. I don't need anything else. I'm rich. I got it together. Yeah, this sucks, but I can handle it myself. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, <laughs> you don't even realize what's really going on. You don't, even, you don't even realize what you are without me. You don't even realize how, how wretched you become, how pitiful your life actually truly is at its core, how poor you are, how blind you are, how naked you are. You think you're rich, but man, there's something that you don't understand. As you can have all the wealth in the world but be incredibly poor. You can have all the medicine in the world but be overwhelmingly blind. And Jesus is saying, you think you've solved it. But man, what your soul really needs is what I'm offering you. And what your soul and what the people in Laodicea, what their soul really needed, whether you're aware of it or not, what you are seeking, what you are searching for, what you are trying to find is an intimacy with God because you were designed for it. But then because you mess up, you lost it. And we are constantly trying to fill that hole back up with whatever we can look for. It's like what Caleb said in worship a few minutes ago. The only thing that truly ever filled him up after everything he tried was the fact that there is a good God that loves him. And that intimacy that happens, and if you don't like the word intimacy, change it out. It's a relationship. It's an encounter. It's an experience. It's a closeness a right relationship that you get to have with God. Jesus is saying, I've got what you need. You think you know what you need, but I've got what your soul is truly looking for. But you, you are living like you don't need me. You're living like everything that you said you wanted when you chose to follow me. You're acting, you're acting like it doesn't matter. And I'm curious. I'm curious of how many of us, if we're honest, would find ourselves in this exact same position right now. If your actions and your behaviors reflect your attitude and your belief, how many of us, if we are honest, we are neither hot nor cold, but we have slowly drifted in to lukewarm living. This is the game that we end up playing with Jesus. Because how easy is it to just drift into lukewarm living? How easy is it to just drift, just take your eyes off that target just slightly and then just get super comfortable? And maybe you felt like, or you feel like you still associate yourself with someone who loves Jesus. Maybe you put Jesus on the bumper sticker of your bio on all your social media accounts. But if we go look outside of the highlights of social media and into the real life that you live into your reality, those two things would not line up because we've just become lazy in our comfort or in our convenience. Maybe we've, we've become stuck in our luxury just like Laodicea or in our wealth. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe there's something in the way of you being able to pursue Jesus and you really want to, but that thing is in the way. And until you get that thing out of the way, you are gonna be stuck living a lukewarm life. And you have become indifferent. And Jesus is saying, mm -mm. 
that's not what I want. I don't want you to play the highlight game because whether you knew this or not, Instagram's not real. No one ever puts the super cold, low, life, low, low light things on Instagram. No one ever shows the day-to-day, mundane, really difficult, hard times. People show highlights. And then we get lost and we get caught in thinking we've gotta be a certain way or we gotta do a certain thing. And Jesus is sitting there saying, no, 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 I have you right where you are. And I have you there on purpose. And if you're breathing, you still have a purpose. And what if you're exactly where you are for a purpose? And all Jesus is saying is I want you to be real and honest about where you are and I want you to take where you are and I want you to bring that to me. I don't want you to get lost in your convenience. I don't want you to get lost inside your comfort. I want you to be able to make bold, real, hard, difficult, better decisions that lead to your best possible life. Because there's a gap from where you currently are to where you want to be. But the only thing that can fill that gap is you setting your sights on Jesus. And the people in Laodicea took their eye off the sights, took their eye off the target. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, this is us. Guys, this was me a few months ago. This was so me. I just remember over the summer becoming aware of how much I got lost in just the day-to-day of the fact that I do this as a job. Like I would study scripture because I had to teach it, not because I wanted it. I had to pursue Jesus because I felt like it was a necessity to do my job well, not because I simply wanted Jesus. And the reality, the awareness, the waking up was how ignorant I had been because I was in the middle of lukewarm living. And I thought I was filling the gaps. I thought I was doing the right things. I thought I was saying the right things and leading my life the right way. But then the reality is things kept getting more and more difficult. And my insecurity kept getting greater and greater and greater and greater. And my immaturities kept coming out in ways that I did not expect. And I realized, oh, it's because I'm being lukewarm. It's because I'm not being real. It's because I'm not pursuing because I forgot. And so in that moment, what Jesus offered me and what he offers you is the exact same thing that he offered the church in Laodicea. That's what we see in the next verse. Look what he says. He says, so I counsel you to buy from me. I counsel you to buy from me gold that's refined in the fire so that you can become rich. In other words, you think you've got all this on your own, but the source of your wealth, the source of your richness, the source of your life is whatever you think you can do on your own. All those outside things are never going to fix what's wrong on the inside. You gotta come into the inside first and fix this if you want all that to be better. So instead of going and finding your rich and your wealth and your gold from all that, you come to me and find it and I will give you gold that is refined in fire so that you can actually become rich. It's wrapped in wisdom. And he keeps going on, he says, and I want you to go ahead and buy white clothes. Find white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. How many of us run and hide the moment we do something wrong because we think that God is treating us and Jesus is looking at us like we either gotta get it right or we gotta get away. And so then shame elevates and we go even deeper into the darkness. 
and we become even more lukewarm. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that anymore. You can buy mercy from me. You can buy grace from me. How do you do that? You set your sights on me. You find everything you need in me because you're nothing without me. And so you can find white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and a salve to put on your eyes so you can finally see. What is it that you can see? You can see the truth instead of living and believing the lies. Jesus is not saying, get it right or get away. But Jesus is saying, without me, you have nothing. Without me, you got nothing. You can have the whole world and have nothing if you don't have Jesus. And some of this feels harsh. Some of this can feel like there's a sting. Some of this can feel like, I don't really know that I want to step out of my comfort. I don't really know that I need or I want to pursue this. Like, this is difficult. This is hard for me. Jesus, why are you challenging me so much? Why would he challenge the church in Laodicea like this? He didn't write to all those other seven churches the exact same way. Why would he be doing this? Because Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. That is his vision for your life. And that's what he says in the next verse. He keeps going, verse 19. He says, those whom I love. It's those whom I love that I rebuke and that I discipline it's those whom I love that I want to help you actually get better. You can choose, ready? You can choose to constantly pursue happy or you can choose to actually get healthy. Happy lives in constant harmony. Healthy chooses maturity. This one, happy avoids conflict, avoids pain, avoids discipline, avoids rebuke, avoids the challenge so you can stay happy. Healthy chooses maturity, chooses to embrace the difficulty, chooses what's better, chooses not just the thing that's okay, but what is actually good. You can keep brushing things under the rug. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get real Real honest. You can keep brushing everything you've got going on in your life underneath the rug. But you know what you call something that builds as a mass underneath the surface of your body? You call it a tumor. And most of the time, it's cancerous. So you can keep brushing it under the rug and acting like everything's okay, living that highlight life, just choosing harmony and happiness. But at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're killing yourself. You are taking yourself out of the better future that you want. You're not actually getting where you want to go. And so what maturity does is maturity says, I'm not gonna sweep it under the rug anymore. I'm going to confess what's going on in my life. I'm going to be honest about the difficult things. I'm gonna embrace them. And I'm going to choose, just like a doctor, to have a little bit of pain on the outside, to perform the surgery, to get rid of what's killing me on the inside. And so because he loves you, he is a great physician. Because he loves you, he's the greatest doctor you'll ever find. 
Because he loves you, he wants to take your pain, your shame, and your guilt, and he wants to give you his love, his joy, and his peace. But if you keep holding on to that shame, you keep holding on to that pain, and you keep holding on to your guilt, you can never receive the work he wants to do in your life. And so what Jesus is sitting here saying to this church and what he's saying to you is, guys, stop with your lukewarm living. It's time to stop playing the game of acting like, yeah, I love Jesus, but never living it out with your life. It's time to stop. A better way to say it is it's time to stop being indifferent to Jesus. And so that moment he says to repent, what he actually means in that moment is to turn away. Repent means you're going this direction, but I'm gonna choose a different direction and I'm gonna turn the opposite way and go that way. So if I've been pursuing this for my life, this sense of happiness all the time, now I'm gonna choose healthy, but I may not always be happy and healthy. Just because I'm not happy doesn't mean I'm not healthy, but it's very hard to be happy when you're not healthy. One's better than the other. And so when he says repent, what he's saying is turn away from that pursuit, turn away from your indifference and turn to me instead. And when you do, when you do, you will find something greater than you would have ever expected. See, this is how he finishes out the section in verse 20. He says, here I am. I'm right here. You thought you had to get it right or get away? Uh Uh-uh. I'm right here. Not afraid of your mess. Not offended by your mistakes. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. And you are not a disappointment to me. I'm right here. Here I am. I stand at the door. Jesus stands at the door of your heart, of your life. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. I'm pursuing. I'm chasing. You're running away from me. I'm running that much faster and farther after you. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, you know this means you, right? You know this means you. You know this means that if you've got questions about faith, this means you. You know this means that if you looked at porn last night or this morning, this means you. You know this means that if you had sex with someone you weren't supposed to and you crossed all these boundaries, that means you. You know it means if you got shame, that means you. If you've made mistakes, if you've done things you aren't proud of, if you wish you could go back and change something from your past, if something happened to you that you didn't even ask for, that means you. If you feel like someone in the church or you feel like someone outside of the church or you feel like there's this thing that's holding you back from Jesus, that means you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door when I'm knocking, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. Went to a counselor for a really long time. His name's Ronnie. He's in his mid-60s. He was a chicken farmer for 20 years. I mean, you talk about good old boy, that was Ronnie. But he would drop the biggest wisdom bombs on you you've ever heard. I'd, I'd sit there and just write and be like, I can't even believe that someone with this accent can say the incredible things that he's saying. And Ronnie sat there one time and he told me, he said, Matt, do you know what? Sorry. Hey, Matt, do you know what? I can't do it. Matt, do you know what the most intimate passage in scripture is in the whole Bible. You know what it is? It's Revelation 3, verse 20. 
Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and they open the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. It's this picture of Jesus saying, I'm going to put a dinner table and I'm gonna sit on one side and I'm gonna put you on the other side and I'm gonna have undistracted, intimate time with you because I love you and I wanna have a relationship with you. See, what Jesus tells us is that when we move away from indifference, we can move into intimacy. But if you keep living an indifferent life towards Jesus, you'll never find the intimacy that your soul truly wants. That's why Jesus uses a dinner table. And I get it. Some of you may think that that's too much. Some of you may think, but I still don't know. That's okay. You need to know, though, that he's standing there knocking. You need to know that whatever feeling you got right now, that thing in your chest of, I, I, I think some things may need to change in my life. Some things may need to change in the way I'm living. Some things may need to change in my priorities. That's not me telling you that. That's Jesus. And he is standing there knocking on the door of your heart. And all you gotta do is open it. And he's saying, here I am. I've been waiting so long because I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. That's how much he loves you. That he would do everything for you, even give up his life for you. But what Jesus knows is that that relationship with him can't happen if you're indifferent. So if you want to know what keeps you from that intimacy, you want to know what keeps you from that relationship, you want to know what keeps you from getting it right and winning this game called your faith, Indifference, because indifference is the enemy of intimacy. Indifference is the enemy of intimacy. And I mean, you can think about it. This is easy to see. If I sat down on a date with my wife and I just acted indifferent about it, where do you want to go? I don't know, I don't care. I don't know. Do you want to spend time with me? I, I mean, sure, I guess. I don't know. Like, do you want to get like intimate later? Uh, maybe, uh, what husband has ever said that? No, that's crazy. <laughs> Would you like to have fun later? I, I, sh may, I, wow, how, let me think about that. If I acted apathetic towards my wife, our relationship would suffer. But the moment I choose to step away from indifference and I step into intimacy and I give her my attention and I start pursuing her and I build a relationship with her, not only does the relationship get stronger, but my life gets better. It goes full circle. You will find what you are looking for when you start looking for Jesus. You'll end up with the better life that you want. You'll end up with so much less regret when indifference does not define your relationship with him. And Jesus knows this. And it's why he challenges the church in Laodicea to quit living a lukewarm life. And it's why he challenged me every time I've strayed off the path saying, come on back, get hot or cold. Don't stay indifferent. Don't stay in the middle. That lukewarm living is not giving you what you're actually wanting. And it's why he is challenging you to repent, to repent from your indifference, to repent from your apathy, to repent from your lazy and to start pursuing him, to repent from your indifference so that you can find intimacy.
So this is the last thing I want you to think about as you kind of navigate what this means for your life. Because it's kind of like Caleb said. I can't tell you what to think. But here's something to think about. Have you become lukewarm in your living? And is that really what you want? Let me pray for you. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for harsh honesty and difficult truth because it's so much better than playing a game. So I pray that any single student in this room, anybody watching online, anyone who is gathering underneath my voice, Father, I just ask that they would respond to the conviction that you may be giving them at this moment to step out of indifference so that they can step towards intimacy and towards you. And I pray that the moment they do that, that you would meet them exactly where they are, that you would show them that when they open that door, you are standing right there, ready to overwhelm them with love and with mercy and with grace. So would you take our pain, our shame, and our guilt, and would you give us love and joy and peace? And would you become the source of that in our life? Because we want to get it right. We just need you. So thank you for loving us first. We love you right back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.